It's go time. If you're starting to feel a draft, it may not be something coming from your window. The Canadian Football League draft was held on Tuesday night, May the 2nd, 2023. I'm Don Charbon along here with Heath Grimm on Quick Kicks. We hope you caught it on TSN. Not a lot of surprises in terms of reach picks, surprise picks. Jim Barker, one of the panelists, seemed to get caught out on sticking with one player that finally fell to the final spot in the first round. But other than that, really a tame draft. A couple of things of note. The first few rounds, two rounds we'll say for the sake of argument, the first time in over 20 years that so few offensive linemen were drafted, only two. First off, I just want to give a nod to TSN for their coverage of the first two rounds of the draft. I know oftentimes it's easy to find fault with the sole broadcaster of CFL content over the airwaves, but I thought TSN did a great job with their panel this year, and they did cover live on two of their five channels the first two rounds of the draft and then went to streaming after that. So uh, really appreciate the feedback. A great panel with Farhan Lalji, Marshall Ferguson, Dwayne Ford and coach Jim Barker and yes only two offensive linemen taken in the first round but once again we do see the number one overall pick an offensive line uh, player which is the 10th time since 2000 that the first overall pick has been an offensive lineman. Dante Bowl from Fresno State going to Ottawa has already signed a contract with the team he's a mountain of a man 6'6 and 324 he is going to anchor that line. That's what I was going to say as well. He's a he's a monster and a very aggressive offensive lineman from the uh, from the footage that we did see as well. A guy that's not afraid to mix it up and will be a big part of establishing a running game for the Red Blacks. If there's any sort of one mantra that I've been hearing over and over again in the league, it's that offensive coordinators want to reestablish the running game. And I'm not sure what the motivation is other than maybe clock management and wearing the defense down because we do have a lot of pretty good quarterbacks in this league and it is known as a pass-happy league. It is, but we have seen success of running games as well. And Winnipeg has been a team that over the last several years has really tried to establish the run. And we've seen them be the most successful franchise over the last four seasons by far. That's a big part of their game. So maybe other teams are looking at that a little bit as the magic formula. And you can't take away from their quarterback situation with Zach Kolaris leading the leading the passing game. It's just a, a situation where they have committed to a balanced attack. And we see other teams, the Hamilton Tiger Cats come to mind as a, a team that really has struggled to establish a consistent running game. And we saw a bit of a drop off for them last last season in the standings. Was there a surprise for you in this draft? Did, say, Cole Tucker going to Calgary early, was that something that you didn't think would happen? Or were you kind of looking at this going, as they said during the the draft, you could put all the names in the drum, you could spin it around, and one through, say, 15 could have come out anywhere? I don't think there was any big shocks. And full transparency, I'm not completely up to speed on all of the players in this draft by any means either. One thing that stood out to me was four defensive linemen in the first round. So it looks like teams are really establishing 
getting that Canadian content on the defensive side of the ball as well. We often see very slanted towards offense, usually at least three offensive linemen, maybe a running back, a couple of receivers in there, and you're really looking at where to fit in players on defense. So great to see a development of defensive linemen. And one thing that we need to talk about a little bit is the age of some of the players that maybe has jumped out a little bit. Um, Winnipeg, for example, Anthony Bennett in the first round is 26 years old. So to see a first round pick on kind of a an interesting sized guy, he's a def- defensive end 6'1", 229 currently. So not anything like the current defensive ends in Winnipeg, but 26 years old, he's mature enough. He's going to be game ready. It seems to be that this is maybe the way that we're going to be seeing this in the future, that rather than spending the time in developing, and this is something that Dwayne Ford talked about during the show, where you develop a player for two or three years, but then they become free agent eligible and they're gone. And so what was the investment really for to get him ready for another team? There maybe have to be something, uh, a restricted free agency status applied to draft players or something like that that could help with this. But if you're going to apply to get a need filled, then you look at somebody who's a little bit more mature and game ready in terms of physical attributes and understanding of the game. Absolutely. And there are still those developmental players being taken. Hamilton took Dayton Black in the first round. So kind of counterpoint to Anthony Bennett, Dayton Black is 23 years old, was a high school quarterback and has been converted to offensive line and is 6'6", 298. So he certainly has the size, but not necessarily the game experience as an offensive lineman. So certainly a project that the Tiger Cats hope will develop as an interior offensive lineman by the looks of things, but not somebody who's going to be likely to step into that starting lineup in the next season or two. You brought up the notion that teams are looking to the defense now to bolster their Canadian content. And one of the things that has come to mind, and this is something that's been almost part and parcel of every Grey Cup winner since 2010, let's say, is that when you look at the starting lineup, typically eight, nine, even 10 Canadians are starting in a game. If you've got that covered, if you lose a Canadian during the game, you're at no risk of having the ratio being affected because if you want to sub another Canadian or an American, you're totally safe. And this is what we've seen with Winnipeg. They've at times started 10 on the field, and that gives you a ton of leverage. It does, and we know even the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, when they won their last Grey Cup, they were well over the requirement for Canadian content. And the thing I really love to see is the different philosophies of teams as to where that Canadian content goes we mentioned Winnipeg's running game, and that has been this succession of running backs from Andrew Harris, Johnny Augustine, Brady Oliveira in there now. And then that's a, a position that they have certainly committed to being a Canadian at this point. Um, for other teams, it, it might be some different spots. Uh, 
So we're seeing other teams maybe commit to Canadian linebackers. We've got Cam Judge, Micah Tights, Enoch Mwamba, etc. that are, are star linebackers in this league. And you're, the teams that are committed to those positions are now looking at how they fill that role moving forward. And Edmonton picked up Michael Broderick in, as the second overall pick as a linebacker. So maybe that's something that the Elks are looking to establish here as well. If anything that stood out to me from the draft was the number of defensive players that were taken. It's not necessarily something that we see very often. There's the odd one-off year where it does happen, but for the most part, the push is to get your anchors along the offensive line, running backs, and then you move out from there. And here we've seen a lot of defensive ends being picked up. We've seen linebackers, and then there was a run on defensive backs. And that speaks volumes to the level of coaching and player development in U sport as well as the, in the NCAA. The, the interesting thing in the first round of the nine players selected, five were NCAA and four were U sport. So that tells you that the talent pool north of the 49th playing U sport is very strong. It is. You mentioned defensive backs. The second round seemed to be the defensive background with the 10th, 11th, 14th, 15th overall picks as defensive backs. Traditionally, the safety seems to be the one position that is often solidly a Canadian position, but we may be seeing that turning a little bit and and more of those cover guys as uh, Canadian defensive backs coming up in the future here as well. What are your thoughts on where you should take a player that has already been picked up in the NFL draft? Is that something that teams should generally look at as a maybe third round and beyond? Or is there a a generational player that maybe you want to make sure you have that opportunity that you take in the earlier rounds just to make sure that you have that opportunity should things not follow up south of the border? It's a tough question to answer. I'll I'll put it this way. If I'm thinking that somebody is going to land in the NFL and they're 22, then I may be more interested in drafting that person just a little higher because if things don't work out in the NFL, I'm probably going to get that person at a at an age that they're going to be in my sweet spot in terms of my needs list. If I'm looking at someone who's a little bit older and they're taking their NFL shot, eh, I might move down a little bit because by the time they come back, they may be getting, they may be at their prime, but then I've only got them for a short term. I don't have them for six, seven years. I maybe got them for four. The other thing too, that you have to be aware is uh, let's take Jonathan Sutherland, who's out of Penn state, for instance, he, he assigned to go to Seattle camp, but he only got paid $10,000. That's a person that I would say to myself, they're not showing a huge amount of interest other than you get the opportunity to be here. You're going to have to show your wares if you want to make this team. And if you do, we'll, we'll be open to it. But it's not like they put up a, a huge amount of effort into bringing him there. And it's not a knock against him. It's just the nature of the economics. They can only bring in so many people at a certain price. And he's the type of player. So Montreal did take him fifth overall here in, in the CFL draft. 
for him to be successful in the NFL, it's looking like he's going to be a special teams type player, uh, a kick and punt coverage guy. He has the opportunity to show that in camp, but is it going to be enough to stick to an NFL roster? And if not, Montreal has a, a great defensive back. And this, this is somebody potentially a safety from the video I saw. He's a solid looking five foot 11 and and quick and strong so he could really feel fill that type of role for Montreal almost immediately going back to my point if a player is getting north of 100 200 even 250 to go to a camp chances are they are going to be rostered or PR'd practice rostered for that season because there has been more of an investment financially to bring them to camp that type of person, oh, that's a tough one. You could pick them high and still think they're not going to go anywhere. But again, you're kind of taking your chances. And this is one of the things that when you've got uh, the macroeconomics that go on between the NFL and the CFL, very tough to compete with the NFL in terms of straight up money. So then you've got to be more patient with everything that you do. And even those guys that have the the smaller contracts free agent agreements with the nfl teams you're likely looking at a two-year investment before they come up because even if they don't crack a roster or practice roster in season one right out of camp they may stick around for that year hoping to land on somebody else's practice roster as a free agent and then probably look at going to camp again the following season for a second look at the nfl so realistically you might not even get them that second season. It might be a three-year investment before they're actually in a CFL training camp. You take that risk, though, even with players that you do draft and do sign and do bring to camp. There are players, uh, Tyler Ford, for instance, from Winnipeg, has signed to go try out in the NFL. He hardly saw the field with the Blue Bombers last year, and yet he's got his opportunity. Those types of things happen as well, where everyone wants to get their shot. You can't blame them, but it does impact what you do as a general manager because you're you're investing in this. The CFL has its structures, and a guy says, well, at the end of my first year, he looks at an opportunity and says, look, I've got to do this now or I never get another chance. It makes it tough for both. And you're right. You certainly can't fault the player for for looking into those options. It is one of the big risk-reward situations of that CFL draft. We're, we're seeing more, and not just in, in football, but we're seeing a lot more Canadians in NCAA basketball funneling into the NBA. It's great to see that recognition and some of those American programs and American professional leagues looking north of the border for players and recognizing that skill and that opportunity that is being developed here and giving them the opportunity. So I'm wishing all the best to those players that are taking that NFL crack, but there's a lot of talent that may end up back here if things don't quite go the way that they are hoping in the NFL. And I I just hope that they continue to give the CFL that look as the second professional league uh, option for them. If we want to just extend this just a little bit further, let's consider the case of James Waters, who had been in the NFL and decided to come back to Canada to play football. 
part of the reason why he did it was it wasn't money. He's made his money now. He wanted to in, have more fun playing the game. The NFL is huge business. The CFL, by comparison, I think for most players, they find that everything is a little bit more game-oriented, fun-oriented. You don't have so much obligation away from the field that takes up all of your time. And I think for the certain players, the CFL game is more fun anyway because of the width of the field and the nature of the play. It is, and we hear that from not just the Canadian players, but American players that come up here as well, and just how all-consuming that NFL opportunity is, how much effort they put into it. And then to come up here, it's a bit of a, a sigh of relief when they get here and realize that football can be fun again. It's such a, a juggernaut of a business, the NFL and all of the money involved, that it's a, a refreshing look when they get up here and the encouragement of touchdown celebrations and the fun on the field and the fun on the sidelines. I, I can absolutely understand the love of the game that we see from the, the players that give it a chance. One other thing that occurred on draft day was the global draft. We haven't touched on that yet. Um, looking at this again, you, you think I know very little about Canadian college players coming into a draft. The, the global draft is a complete crapshoot. Seven kickers or punters taken in the two rounds of the global draft. So that is a position that CFL teams continue to look at to fill with internationals. Um, first overall pick was a defensive lineman by the Red Blacks from American Samoa. So uh, interesting to see if there's any development there. A couple of receivers, there's more defensive linemen, a couple of offensive linemen, but punters and kickers seem to be what these teams have scouted the most and are interested in bringing into camp. It is one of the biggest complaints from U-Sport and NCAA special teams, kickers, punters, that there is a push to start at least with bringing global kickers across and into the league. And of course, that's directly affecting their jobs. So they're the first ones to, to be upset about it. It's going to take time for the talent pool to get diversified enough that we're going to see more and more positional players being taken. They, they often say that it takes a generation to develop. We're in year, what, three or four of this. So we're probably 10 years away before we see this fully uh, developed where we find that global draft is about all kinds of people anywhere on the field. And in the interim, it's just going to take some, some growing pains. And it's really no wonder that these kicking positions are the ones that they're looking at. You don't necessarily have to grow up playing football to develop some of those skills. It could be rugby, it could be Aussie rules football, it could be soccer. So many other games develop those muscles and those skills getting somebody as a running back or a receiver some of those skill positions is a lot harder when that development hasn't fully found its way in some of these countries as you said we'll see what happens 10 years down the road where we've got a bit more of that it's i know the the x league in japan seems to be one that 
teams will look at from time to time as well. So it looks like they've got a pretty strong football culture developing there. And, uh, you know, other countries throughout Europe, maybe we'll see a little bit more. There's a, a Great Britain and Sweden kind of looking at the nationalities, Italian and German and French on, on this uh, global draft right now. So that World League of American football or NFL Europe as it evolved into maybe has some lingering effects in developmental leagues there that uh, that there's still players being developed. It's I, I love the initiative and, and hope to see more of those skilled players down the road. Training camps now are just a week away. Rookie camps first and then the veterans roll in. It's hard to believe, but May has arrived and football with it. This is going to be fantastic to see all of these draft players that do sign get onto practice fields and start trying to make football teams. This this gets the juices going in terms of excitement because free agency has one aspect of getting you thinking about football, but once you hit draft day and training camps now are just the next week, how can you not get excited about a new season? And it felt like football weather today it was into the high 20s here in the prairies so we're we're well spring just kind of showed up we had snow less than two weeks ago uh, a good amount of snow actually and then to be 27 degrees today let's uh let's get those stripes painted on the field and get ready to start evaluating these players speaking of stripes on the field the winnipeg blue bombers turned a pretty hefty profit for their efforts last year of course being in the gray cup didn't hurt Great to see these success stories of teams, especially these community-owned teams, turning a profit. We we can remember back when there was rallies and raffles and telethons and that sort of thing to keep these teams afloat. So always great to see the success. And the on-field product certainly hasn't hurt Winnipeg as well. What they've done over the last few seasons has re-engaged those fans uh, got people into the seats, got people buying season tickets, and the the profits are there. Now, they did have to give a little bit of that profit back. Uh, there was some salary cap issues, not just Winnipeg, four teams involved in that that uh, had to pay some fines. Blue Bombers, uh, of that $4.9 million, about 130000 went back to the CFL because the Blue Bombers were the highest rule breakers in terms of the salary management system, $64,499 they were over. Up to the first 100000 it's a dollar-for-dollar penalty. You kind of know, though, given your reporting periods, because every six games during a season, there is an audit of the teams. You kind of know going down the stretch whether or not you're going to make it or not. And when you look at that number, people might think, wow, it's essentially a rookie salary that they were over. And so that means you miss by one player. That's not so bad. It's not. I know there's people that any infraction is the worst case scenario and, and this team cheated its way to this success or that success. It absolutely is a rule infraction and there is a penalty in place for it, which these teams have all stepped up and paid. The The two biggest infractions as far as the salary cap goes was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Toronto Argonauts. And if we remember who was in the Grey Cup last year, 
It was the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Toronto Argonauts. So it's a, a sacrifice these teams are willing to make. None of them were over $100,000, which, again, you look at the amount of money in professional sports. We know the CFL is a, a small salary league compared to a lot of them, but nobody would blink in Major League Baseball or NHL or NBA or NFL if somebody is over by $64,000. That's that's not even an, an issue at all. So Montreal Alouettes, the Ottawa Red Blacks, the Argonauts, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were the four teams that went over. Montreal by only $794. The One of the things that the CFL has done very, very well is that these are forensically audited. The CFL has been very sincere about teams sticking close to the cap. And some people argued, well, do the Alouettes really need to be paying a $794 fine? But then at what point do of a sliding scale do you say, well, that's forgivable? And the CFL said, look, this is the cap that you live with. If you're over by a buck, you're over and that's finable. Up to 100000 it's a dollar per dollar. Once you get over 100000 then you start getting into bigger trouble because it's two for one and draft picks start going out the window. The way they've done it with the dollar for dollar up to 100000 it it's not a surprise that teams bidding for the Grey Cup go over. But it gives them that opportunity to say, look, oh, up to 100000 we can do this. We know what the fine's going to be, but we need to do something more if we want to be the, the champion at the end of this and there's a lot of things that factor into it. You look at injuries to your starters. Once you get into those cuts from NFL camps and looking at how you can help your team, there are some gaps to fill. And, and we see players coming back year after year from those NFL camps that I, I believe is partially responsible for where these these dollars get overspent. You don't want to miss out on an opportunity of a guy that has been a starter with you in the past, all of a sudden coming back here and and you think he can give you the opportunity to help your team to a Grey Cup. Absolutely, you're going to spend a few extra dollars. I, I like the fact that they give that $100,000 window of working out these situations before you get really punitive, but absolutely that $100,000 mark start losing draft picks costing them more money I, I agree with you it's a it's a great way to handle a hard cap situation you you give that little bit of a window to get through some tough spots before you really crack down and, and start to take away something from those teams we are a football centric podcast but this is something I want to know from you the CFL gives a buy to the teams that finish first in each division the Boston Bruins did not get a bye in the NHL despite winning 62 games in the regular season, and they're gone in the first round. There's a part of me that says, why were they even playing in that round? You've just lost the top dog. I don't get it. You've been reading my tweets. <laughs> I disagree with you 100%. The Boston Bruins had a 43-point advantage over the Florida Panthers in the regular season. They had seven opportunities to beat the Florida Panthers in the first round. They beat them three and lost four. Sorry, Bruins, you're going home. I, I don't see, especially with the grind 
that an NHL schedule is, the only way it would work is you would really have to revamp the first round of the playoffs if you're instituting a bye. Those other teams are going to be playing best of threes as opposed to a best of seven. How does that all shake down? Because I don't think there's any fair way that Boston can sit on the sidelines for two weeks while teams are playing a best of seven to see who gets to play them next. A 43-point gap, the way they've got it weighted now is by conference, so it's not even within your division. One plays eight in that conference. That big of a gap, you should be able to beat them, and a seven-game series is the equalizer. If you're putting up those kind of numbers, you are the feature going into the playoffs. You're what the NHL wants. The NFL, the CFL, have, even baseball, has allowances for teams that finish first. And yet hockey, basketball don't. And it's kind of, I guess it's almost a disincentive to be there. Like, I guess you get a monetary reward and some notoriety. But beyond that, why bother? You may as well regress to the mean and fight it out with everybody else because that's what's happening it, come April anyway. You have the opportunity to host potentially four game sevens in your rink to work your way through. That's what you're playing for. I think it's great for hockey. It shows parody. One one thing we want to see in, in all sports is is parody. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League Player and Game Statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.